Okay, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Again we pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay. Any questions about the creeds or about the Word of God in general? That was the last two weeks that we had here, just talking about uh, the sort of the different forms of the Word. Remember that the Word is not a thing, it's not the words on the page, but the word singular is a person. So when we say things like, this is the word of the Lord, we're saying more than, these are the words of the Lord. We're also, which they are, but we're also saying that the distinct and unique person of the Trinity, the second person, who is the word of God, is truly here, and that's where the word is, okay? So that's one of the really important things to remember, is that the word of God is more than words, it is a person. And that brings a whole lot uh, of deeper meaning to the understanding of what the word is. If you're in midweek or have gone through midweek already, and you remember that one of the vocabulary terms that we study is the name of the Son of God from all eternity, and that is the Word of God. So it's not just what is recorded, but is also the person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity. When it comes to the creeds, uh, the creeds are not what? This is the review from last time. The creeds are not what? Okay, yes, they're not yours as who? An individual. It, you can, ours is a tricky word, and I know exactly what you mean, and I'm just being nitpicky, like I tend to be. <laughs> yes, it's not ours in the sense of our being an individualistic thing. It's not your creed. It's not your creed. It's not my creed. It is the church's creed. So then it is our creed in the sense that it is the creed of the corporate body of the church. But it's never an individual thing. And being a Christian and being a part of the church is never, never, never something about being an individual. So a lot of the times you hear that the most important thing is my relationship with Jesus or my walk with Jesus and um, it doesn't really, nothing else really matters. I can be just as good a Christian, never going to church, never doing anything, just believing in Jesus because it's just about the two of us. And it's simply not true. The church's job is to make disciples plural. And where do disciples go? They go where Jesus goes. And what do they do? They congregate together around their Lord. Uh, so there is a sense that the church is corporate. Uh, and that your confession of faith is a corporate confession made by the body, 
not made by every single individual. Remember that in the old texts of the Creed, you would say, we believe. We believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe. Because it wasn't about assent. It's not about your head knowledge. The, church, the Creed is not about the church giving you a test and saying, well, what do you think? I want to hear about it. It's not some kind of survey where your opinion matters to us because, newsflash, it doesn't. Your opinion doesn't matter to the church. You can think uh, that Jesus was a space alien from Mars, but when you come into the church, your opinion means absolutely nothing and it has no weight. Why? Because when you confess the creed, it's not about opinion, it is submission. That's the biggest thing to understand about the creed, is that the creed is not your personal opinion or even the voice of your personal individual faith. It is the voice of submission. And that is extremely important. It's not your creed, young man. It's our creed. It's the church's creed. Okay? Um, Everything that takes place within the church is maintained and uh, restrained by the creeds. Remember that diagram that I gave you. There's two things that can happen. If you've got the creed, the historic confessions of the church, you've got sort of your pillars, your walls on either side. And your thoughts and interpretations, they can move around a little bit, but they're always kept within a specific frame. You can never go beyond what is on either side here. But without any of the creeds, without any of the councils, the, the confessions of the church, you have nothing and you can do whatever you want. Uh, so part of what the creeds do is they restrain the church from going too far. It's sort of the same idea of the pastor having a collar. I don't get to go wherever I want. I'm kind of like a dog on a leash. If I start going a little bit too far, the guy at the end of the leash pulls me back a little bit. Okay? Uh, the church is the same way. That's what the creeds do. They restrain the church. And they keep the church uh, disciplined. Uh, and all of the important things about the church and the liturgy, what she confesses, what she does, all of that is retained by the creeds when, uh, when you see what the confession of faith is and understand the value of it. And then this is the question where we kind of ended. Can you tell that a church is a church based on what goes on inside? And that's a question to consider every time you go into a church. Uh, and I was talking to somebody about this just this week, actually, because there's somebody who's working on a church renovation project. And they had someone walk in and they said, what do you think of immediately when you walk into this space? And the person said, well, when I come in here, I'm stunned by the beauty of how it looks. It doesn't look like anything else in the world outside, and it automatically makes me want to offer reverence here. And this fellow said, good. That's what it ought to do. Uh, and that's the truth. When you walk into the church, even just from the colors, from the smell, from the sight of it all, not to mention above and beyond, how 
the congregation and especially how the pastor behaves in that sanctuary, you should be able to tell that it is a church based on what is happening in there. It's now some places you can go in and it's like nothing different is happening. You could go to a rock concert on one end of the street and then walk into a building that says it's a church and have exactly the same experience. And then when you look at the question, can I tell that this is a church based on what is going on here? The answer is no. And if the answer is ever no, then you've got a problem because you've gone beyond the creeds. You're not restrained anymore. You've broken your leash or you've gotten your one zap and gotten through the electric fence and now you're running wild through the neighbor's yard. Okay. So um, that's an important aspect of the creeds as well, that they restrain. Okay. If you don't have a creed, you can believe whatever you want. And that's bad. When you believe whatever you want in the church, that's actually bad. Because you're, you're always called to answer the same question that Jesus asks to the disciples and mainly to Peter. Who do you say that I am? And if you give an opinion of, well, I think that you're the, then you're already making a mistake. Because the confession of the church is corporate. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Have mercy upon us, amen. Okay, are you, tr are you tracking with me? Does this all make sense? Do you understand? Okay, it's a little bit different, I know, than maybe you've heard about the creed before. And not a lot of people talk about the creed as being something that is really an act of submission. So I know that's maybe different, but I want you to bite on that and I want you to hold on to it and because it'll change your world when you start confessing the creed and you think, boy, this is actually submission. This isn't something that I am doing like I come to church and show God how good I am by saying, see, look, you told me to believe in you and here are all the things I believe in you and all the things I believe about you. Aren't I good? And, and the Lord says, well, they're not really your words. No. What do we, how do we speak the creed? Together. Yeah, that was a really bad question. I apologize. Um, let me rephrase it. When I, when I introduce the creed in the divine service, how do I do it? right after the reading of the gospel. We blank our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. You're, it rhymes with profess. Confess. Confess, yes. We confess our faith. That's an important use of language too. Because it isn't about, uh, well, I'm gonna show you the things that I have done that uh, prove to you all of how good it is that I believe in you. No, you're, you're submitting, you're confessing the faith. And the word confess, um, homo logeo, same speak, is what it means. Same speak, uh, which means to speak back. So when I say we confess the faith, what it means is we're going to speak back the faith as it has been given to us. We're going to say the same words about God that God has said about himself. God says, hey, I'm a triune God. I'm the Father, I'm the Son, and I'm the Holy Spirit. And here are a few things about me. Hey, uh, when I was born, I was born of a virgin. And then you don't say, well, I'll decide whether or not I agree with that statement based on scientific evidence. You say, oh, you said that you were born of a woman. Well, I'm going to confess, same speak, 
homologeo back to you, what you've already said about yourself. You were born of the Virgin Mary. So the creeds really are saying back all the things that the Lord has already said about himself. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, we've got to move on. So if you don't have any questions about that, you understand the creeds. And you can interrupt me at any time, you know. So, but we're just, we're moving on from the word. We're on something else now. If you are, if you're following sort of in your head, because the schedule I gave you at the beginning of the year is already worthless. <laughs> um, but if you're following in your head sort of where we are roadmap-wise through the divine service, we're done with the creeds. We've already talked about the sermon kind of creed, sermon, readings, all of that when we talked about the Word. So now we're on to prayer. So as it pertains to the divine service, we're talking about the prayer of the church, the big long thing where we pray for everybody and everyone. And also on the personal level, uh, individual prayer or corporate prayer within the body of the family. Okay, so. Um, there's one really important reason why the church prays, and this was something um, at the seminary. One of my professors asked the question of the class, why does the church pray for the world and for everybody around? Why do we get to church and as part of the service say, um, let us pray for the whole church and for all people according to their needs? which includes people outside of the faith. Why do we do it? Why do we pray for presidents and congressmen and senators that you uh, maybe don't like? You speaking gener uh, generally. Well, there's still leaders you have to... Sure, okay. Yes, okay, that's good. More generally, not even just specifically about the leaders, but why does the church pray for everybody and everyone, including... God. Jesus died for everybody. God. Okay, sure. Everybody. Sure, yes, he loves everybody. If the church didn't pray, who would? You, can, you still can, even at your home. Like, you don't have to just... Well, you know, Heath, you're right. And that highlights something here. And what, what that is, Heath, is that when I say the church, I don't only mean in the divine service. I mean that even when you are praying at your house, that is the church praying, because you're a part of the church. So, if, when, I, so when I say if the church doesn't pray, it also means if none of her Christians prayed. So if no Christian anywhere, nobody from the church ever prayed, if the church didn't do it, who would do it? Nobody. nobody. And that's an important realization. If the church didn't pray, nobody would pray. And uh, that's not the only reason, of course, why the church prays, but it is an important reason because you're right, the Lord did die for all of those people, and the Lord does love those people, and the Lord wants to take care of them. And yes, they are leaders, and we pray for their well-being, whether we agree with them or not, whether we even like them or not. 
because it isn't about who you like and who you don't like. Right? We pray for our enemies. We pray for the people that persecute us. We don't really like them. I mean, it's not like I'm signing my name up to say, hey, you know, I'd really like to go have my head chopped off, please. I think that'd be a really fun time. And all the while, I'm going to pray for the people doing it. Isn't that going to be fun? Who wants to come with me? We'll have a grand old time right up until the end. You know, it, it, it's not like, in, in some ways, it, uh, it is a joyous thing. And always, you know, you thank God for your persecutions. But you pray for your persecutors, uh, even... It, even up until the point of death. He did uh, when he was on the cross. Well, sure, yeah. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, the Lord himself prays for sinners even as they are putting him to death. Um, this is the thing, okay? Faith follows Jesus where he goes. Faith speaks the words of Jesus, does the things that Jesus does. So, that means this. Does Jesus have enemies? This is a trick question. <laughs> yeah. There are enemies of Jesus, but does Jesus himself have enemies? There are people that hate him and will go after him. But if you ask, if Jesus was sitting right here and you said, Jesus, tell me, who are your top ten enemies? Well, okay, you're getting, you're getting in too deep here. You're getting in too deep here. Look at the world around you, right? Does Jesus have any enemies, even among the people that persecute him? No. Worldly enemies? Is that what we're talking about? Yes. No, he doesn't. Yes, worldly enemies. You're, too, you're all too smart for me. You're a step ahead of me. And I got to tell you, I don't, I don't appreciate it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm glad that you're thinking deep. That's good. No, I'm just talking about in the world. Of course, death is an enemy. Sin is an enemy. Uh, Satan and the demons are enemies. Yes. But when I say enemy, what I'm really talking about is people like this. People Jesus didn't die for and people Jesus doesn't love. People Jesus hates. Are there any people that Jesus hates? No. Are there any people that Jesus says to the Father, You know, I'm sick and tired of this Joe Schmo down here. Why don't you send the lightning bolt through the roof of his house? Maybe that'll teach him a lesson. <laughs> Anybody like that that Jesus thinks about? No. Jesus doesn't have enemies, so you don't have enemies. That's where I'm going. So you pray for the people that persecute you, even though they persecute you, because they aren't your enemies. Now, you may be their enemy, but they aren't your enemies. Go ahead. Unbelievers, are they, would they be enemies? Absolutely not. You know, the people that don't believe in him. They're not his enemies. He died for those people. He loves those people. Look at... Um, Look at something like, you know, when we talk about, um, when we talked about excommunication, remember that? And, and St. Paul says, hey, when you excommunicate someone, you kick them out of the brotherhood, you treat them like a Gentile. And everybody goes, yeah, treat them like a Gentile, you filthy Gentile, you half-breed, get out of here, you don't belong in the church because you're a Gentile. But what does it mean to treat someone like a Gentile? Isn't that a good 
Well, it's not a good thing to be called a Gentile, no. But if you're going to be treat, if someone, if Jesus says, "Hey, treat this person like a Gentile," that means go after them all the more fervently, love them all the, all the more, all the greater, so that they come back into the fold. And that's so the idea of that's how the Gentiles are treated. Well, that's how you treat the Gentiles in the world around you right now, the quote-unquote uncircumcised of the world. Um, you treat them like Gentiles, meaning you pray for them all the harder, because the Lord does desire them. And just because we know that few are saved does not mean that we become complacent with that. So, well, you know, few are saved, so Joe Schmo probably deserves a lightning bolt through the roof of his house. No, then you pray for Joshmo all, all the more and pray that the Lord would have mercy on him. Um, and prayer here, this is a perfect segue, prayer is a very important thing of the church for the well-being of the world and for the well-being of the church herself. But it's also a great privilege to be able to pray. Not everybody can pray. Um, the people of God get to pray. That's like when you're growing up and you go over to your friend's house and your friend can talk to their parents a certain way, but you don't get to talk to your friend's parents the same way that your friend does. Or if your friend comes to your house, you can talk to your parents one way, but your friend doesn't get to talk to them the same way that you do. Um, a perfect example is what you call them. What, is your, what do you call your parents? Mom and Dad. Mom and Dad. What do your friends call your parents? Mr. Heath's mom. <laughs> Heath's mom. <laughs> or Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Okay. They don't get to call you mom and dad. Only your kids have the privilege of being able to do that. And there's power in the name mom and dad. When your son says, Dad, can we please have some ice cream? It's a whole lot different than when some stranger comes to your house and says, Excuse me, sir, would you take me out for an ice cream cone? I mean, on the one hand, you say, Well, you know what, son? Sure, I'd love to take you out for an ice cream cone. They're um, talking about getting rid of the words mom and dad. I've heard that. What? I've heard that. We I tell you what, let's not even go there, <laughs> because because I get I'm hot enough about some of this stuff. I'm living on a low grade simmer most days now, <laughs> it, and it doesn't take a whole lot to crank it up to a boil. <laughs> um, so here's the reality of being in Christ. Uh, the Lord has established a relationship with you. And that's an important way to phrase it, too, because it's not the other way around. You don't establish a relationship with God. Like, you know what, I think I'm going to pursue Jesus, or I think I want a good friend, so I'm going to ask Jesus to be my friend. And all the while, he's been standing there going, please be my friend, come here, come here, come here. And you've just been ignoring him the whole time until you finally turn around and say, I think now I've decided to be your friend. And he says, okay, but the invitation was already given and it's been long standing, so really was never your job or duty to begin with. Uh, so he's established the relationship with you. He entered into the covenant with you. That's important too. Think about uh, Abraham. 
the Lord enters into a covenant with Abraham. And what does Abraham do? What is Abraham's end of the bargain in the covenant? Just to accept. Yeah, well, okay. Again, this is one of those, I know what you mean, but accept is a dirty word. Can you, can you do, can you say that in a different way? If the Lord is making the covenant and if the Lord is giving Abraham he receives, yeah. Ex I know what you mean. <laughs> Again, but the, the words, the language is important. That's, that's why I'm nitpicky. Um, because the way that you say things matters. Because if you say, he accepts it. Accepts is an active word. Then it's on my own terms and in my time and my, of my volition. But to receive means something has already been given, and it's, it's passive. And the church is all about passive language. It's always something that's being done to you. you if you are ever the subject of the sentence, uh, you got yourself a problem. Because the subject is the Lord, and the Lord does things to you, and acts on you, and works for you. So you now, you're in this relationship with the Lord, and that's an important thing. Uh, Christ is the bridegroom. His church is the bride. That language is there, again, for a very specific reason. Um, the bridegroom loves his bride with a self-sacrificing love. He gives himself up for her. Uh, and the bridegroom can be swayed by the words of the bride in a way that can't be done by anybody else. Uh, even within the confines of marriage, there is grace that is afforded. Your husband uh, and or your wife can get away with much more with you than they would with anybody else because of the grace that is afforded in marriage. Um, and likewise, they can ask things of you that nobody else could ask of you. And they can do it gladly, and you can receive the requests gladly, all in love. Um, so you have this privilege now of being able to communicate with a God whose name you bear, and uh, through this name you have access to. A part of what the curtain being torn in the temple means is that now you have access to God. God has come to you and redeemed you so that you can come back to Him, that you can be back in communion with God. So uh, part of this is communication with God. The, the question I like to ask in jest is, how many relationships do you know of that work really well when neither party ever communicates with the other in any way? I mean, it just, it's laughable because it doesn't work. You know, the, the old adage is, well, communication is key. Oh. And it's kind of silly and pithy, but the truth is you have to communicate. You have to talk. You have to sometimes voice anger or frustration or sadness. You talk, you communicate, you make requests, you receive requests. Uh, and that's all part of communication. So uh, we're going to look at John chapter 15 really quickly. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in John, so you might just want to keep a finger there in John. John 15, 
John 15, starting at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. And this is an important verse here. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. What do you notice, first of all, in this one little passage? What do we notice? Yeah, what's the thing that stands out to you? What's the first thing that hits you? You are my friends if you do what I command you. Yes, you are my friends. So we'll take that in two parts. Actually, that's the perfect answer. Um, yeah, gold star for the day. Um, you, we'll take it in two parts, the you are my friends and the do what I command. What does it mean then to be a friend or to have in God a friend? What does it mean to have a friend generally? Somebody who cares for your well-being. Okay, someone who cares for your well-being. What else? Okay, an ally. Good. Would in, uh, when you get into a schoolyard scrap, you want your friends with you. <laughs> All right. Somebody to confide in. Somebody to. Yes. Yes. So all of this is somebody who. Uh, has a friend loyalty, somebody who's not going to stab you in the back or leave you up to dry, somebody who's going to be with you, somebody who's going to hear you, somebody who's going to endure with you. And that's important because it means that it's not, you're, it's not a fair weather friend. Everybody's had a fair weather friend, but the real friends are the friends who stay friends even when things are uncomfortable. The real friends are the friends that stay with you even when you have a big disagreement or more than one, and still at the end of the day end up being your friends. See, l love and loyalty, love and loyalty no matter what. So this is the idea that you have a friend, that no more uh, do you need to look at God and be afraid. Oh, I'm a sinner and uh, he's going to consume me. Now, no, he says, I'm your friend here, and, and I've got my yoke is for you, and I'll take, your burden's pretty heavy, I'll take that one instead, and you can take this one. My burden is light, because my burden is a burden of grace and mercy and, and life. It's really kind of a nice burden to bear. You should take that one instead. I'll take the hard one for you. Uh, this is what it means that Jesus is your friend. Uh, he is a companion. He's going to lead you and guide you and be with you. He's never going to hurt you. That's a really important thing to remember. Jesus is never going to hurt you. And with Jesus, you're never alone. 
because remember in baptism, Jesus is as close to you as your own skin because he's taken on your own flesh and blood. He's with you. So uh, he's with you, he's never going to leave you, and he's never going to hurt you. Now, command. What is the command part all about, though? When you hear the word command, what do you think? Rules. Yeah, okay, rules. What else? Obey. Mm-hmm. Obey. What else? Think of it even like from the military. A command is a what? Order. An order, yeah. So Jesus says, I'm your, I'm your best friend. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love you. But here are some commands. And then you think, oh, well, this is kind of a dumb friend because everything's conditional, right? I've got to follow all these orders if, he, if he's going to be my friend. And that is the wrong way to read this with the word command. We've already talked about the ten words and how they're really full of grace. It's not just ten giant orders where the Lord says, now you better do, you better, you better do this and this and this or else, oh boy, you're going to get it if you don't do these things, which is not really what they're about. Um, likewise, when the Lord says, here are my commands, I want you to hear, under, understand command not as, well, I'm sitting on top of this hill and I'm going to bark orders at you and you dug out, if you want to be my friend, you better, do, you better do what I say. Uh, it isn't like that. Instead, command is bidding. Hey, listen. Um, this is what I do. This is how I am. And I love you, and I want to take care of you, and I would love for you to be like me. And the way to do that is like this. Love one another. Take care of one another. Be like me. Come with me and follow me, and this is how we are together. That's really what it is to say that the Lord has these commands. So sometimes Lutherans... And it isn't just Lutherans, too. Sometimes it's the evangelicals as well. They get caught up in the idea of commands and law. And then love becomes a law. Why do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor because Christ loved your neighbor and because Jesus doesn't have any enemies, you don't have any enemies, so you love the people that Jesus loves and you take care of them with a good heart? Or do you love your neighbors because the Lord commanded you? Do you see the difference? Well, you kind of talk in like uh, your Sunday school lessons when you say that it's it's almost like a parent and law and gospel are like a double-edged sword. They are. That's a, and that's exactly what I'm saying. This is this is why the lessons are structured and ordered the way that they are because. I can't talk about prayer and your relationship and why you love and what it means for Jesus to command if we haven't already talked about what the word is and what law and gospel are. Because if you don't understand that every word can work two ways and that just because it says the word command and Jesus says, hey, you should love people, it doesn't mean he's barking orders, then we can't talk about it. And that's a really important thing to remember. Um, again, this is the question that should stick with you. Why do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor only because God said, doggone it, you better love your neighbor else. You go, okay, all right, I'll love him. He cuts his sh wrecks my lawn, but I'll love him only because you commanded. I'm so afraid of what's going to happen to me if I don't love him because you told me to. Or do you love him because Jesus says, hey, I love you and I love him. And if you're going to be with me, then you love the people that I love and all the things that I love. And that means you love this person too and you take care of them. And we're all going to get together and it's going to be... Uh, 
really nice and that's what's going to be really good for everybody and you say okay I trust you I'll follow you where you lead I'll love this person even when I don't understand it and even when they drive me crazy you see what the difference is it's a law one and a and a gospel one and then when you don't love your neighbor all of a sudden loving your neighbor does become more of a an order because but not again not because the Lord wants to punish but because it's something that's good for you like the rule about not drinking bleach it's not because your parents it's not because you know they want to be killjoys. Well, doggone it, that'd be a lot of fun if only they'd let me do it. It's about taking care of you, and that's what really, at the end of the day, the words of the Lord are all about: loving you and taking care of you. Okay, so love is obedience. That's a really, really, really important thing, and it's a kind of a refrain. One of the refrains of this class: all of Scripture is death and resurrection. Love is obedience. Jesus. When he gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror, he sees the Ten Commandments. All of this stuff, these are all refrains that I want you to remember. I say them a lot so that they stick. Love is obedience. It's really easy to obey somebody when you know that they love you and they'll never ask you to do something that's going to hurt you, that they're always going to take care of you. So when your husband asks you, hey, can you do this for me? Or your wife says, hey, could you pick up your dirty laundry for me? Uh, it's never something that is a burden, or should be, because you know that within the confines of that relationship, one will never ask the other to do something um, that's going to cause harm or pain or hurt. Okay? And the perfection of that is in Christ. So, uh, one of the things then, the, the last thing from this that you have the encouragement of Jesus to do is... Uh, the end of verse 16 whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you and that's a really important thing and that's the refrain that I want you to remember for prayer prayer Jesus says whatever you ask the Father in my name I will give you you have power you have sway. Keep a finger in John and turn to Genesis. And I'll show you what kind of power you have. Genesis chapter 18. The name of God has been given to you and it grants you the power and the privilege of being able to make requests and demands uh, from God. And these can be made for yourself, for your family, and for other people. And the prayer of the church, what we do in the liturgy, is something that exemplifies that. If you follow the order of it, it typically starts with the faith and the church and then goes down to more and more secular things. Okay, so let's look at this. Genesis chapter 18, we'll start at verse 16. Then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. 
And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord, and Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I, uh, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the fifty righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be forty found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of forty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose the thirty should be suppose thirty should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of twenty. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. If you don't see this as a remarkable thing, you're not looking. Because a man who in all for all intents and purposes, compared with the Lord, really is nothing, is bold to make a request of the Lord, and not just one, but many. The Lord says, I'm going to destroy this wicked place, and he says, please don't do it. If, the, if there are righteous people in it, keep it for the sake of the righteous. And the Lord says, hey, hose off. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do what I want to do, because I'm God. Oh, wait, no, he doesn't. He says, okay, what you have asked, I will give you. You see that? That's power. That is the power that you have in prayer. Praying to the Lord that the Lord would relent. Praying that the Lord would listen to what you ask of him. Can you think of another really good example? It's, a, it's in the Old Testament again. The Lord's going to destroy the Israelites. And what does Moses do? He says, don't kill them. And the Lord says, nope, I'm, I'm done with them. They've taken advantage of you, and I'm just going to start over. And Moses says, no, please, uh, don't destroy them. And the Lord says, okay, 
For your sake, I will not destroy them. See, having the name of the Lord and having the ear of the Lord is powerful. Now, this is important because it makes the second commandment all the more important and dangerous. Um, I've said this before. This is, this is why you have to be careful what you say. Um, when it comes to using the name of the Lord or misusing the name of the Lord, when someone cuts you off in traffic and you say, damn you, or, you, or even worse, you say, God damn you, you just finish up the whole thing. I mean, that's a prayer. And you're somebody who has the ear of the Lord. So you better be very careful about what you ask of the Lord because if you say, God damn you, or damn you, um, the Lord just might. Because some of his children have asked for it. Yeah. I've never heard it cut out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here thinking, who knew? Yeah, misusing the name of the Lord. See, it's really easy to look at that commandment and say, okay, well, I just won't say, oh my God, when I have, I won't use that as an exclamation and then that'll be okay. But it's not just about, hey, this is the name of the Lord. It's also the function and the purpose of the name of the Lord and the privilege that you have as people of the Lord who get to call on the name of the Lord, who have the power like Abraham when the Lord says, I'm going to kill them all, to say, no, don't. And the Lord will say, hmm, okay. I'll listen to you. That's the thing. When you have the ear of the Lord, it means the Lord listens to you. Prayer is such a big, 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 important thing. All right? So, um, the Lord listens to you. You have power. Now, being careful with how you use this power, how you use the name of the Lord, means that uh, prayer is not about me. Like with everything. So, uh, the Lord says, hey, and anything you ask in my name, I'll give to you. And you say, okay, well, uh, brand new Lamborghini and a brand new John Deere tractor and combine and uh, in the name of the Lord, in Jesus' name. And then what do you expect? You expect heaven's garage door to open up and drop everything down for you. Why? Well, because I prayed in the name of the Lord and he said anything I asked in his name I would get. You start rattling off all these things. But see, the problem is, that isn't prayer. That's demands. That's, prayer is a selfless thing, and re requests like that are selfish. Now, you, you can ask, and the Lord will still answer those, but He's not always going to answer them the way that you want. In fact, if that's the only way you're praying, He's not ever going to answer it exactly the way you want. So this is something to remember about prayer. The Lord is always going to hear your prayer, and He's always going to answer, but... He'll always give you what you ask or something better. And sometimes when you pray for the brand new John Deere tractor or your new Lamborghini out in the driveway of your brand new mansion, uh, the answer to the prayer that is better for you is maybe you don't need those things because maybe you need to learn a little bit of humility. <laughs> right? So prayer is not, I want, I want, I want, give me a car, give me a pony, give me a mansion, give me money, give me this, give me that. God is not a genie. I remember being in high school once, and uh, somebody that I uh, knew who was in my grade posted something on Facebook. And it was, it was the kind of wisdom that only a high school student could think was wisdom. And it was his trump card argument to show that Christians were stupid. And he said, quote, I don't believe there's a magic genie in the sky who grants wishes. 
And everybody went, oh, wow, so eloquent, so wonderful. Wow, what a takedown of Christianity. And I remember even as a high schooler reading that and going, okay, I don't believe that either. <laughs> if Christianity to you is that there is a genie that floats around in the sky and you say, well, I want this, I want that. And the genie says, okay, there you go, bling, 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 like some kind of you know, magic Oprah. You get a car, you get a car. <laughs> You know, if that's what you think Christianity is, then you're just way off base here because God is not a genie. God does not exist to give you everything you want. He, he is a loving father and in his son is a friend. He's there to take care of you, to guard and protect you. So prayer is not going, hey, I want this, I want this, gimme, 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 gimme. Prayer is something else. It's calling upon God according to promises. Why? Because faith is a work. Or excuse me, because prayer is a work of faith. Okay, prayer is a work of faith. It's a beautiful work. Uh, that's a work that you can be proud of, actually, is prayer. But it's important to say that it's a work of faith because the person who doesn't have faith calls upon God because he thinks he's a genie. Well, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then when they don't get what they want, they're angry. Well, I prayed for it. I didn't get it. Yes. What about... How would you answer somebody who says, you know, I had a sick relative and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and they still die. Mm -hmm. And then they're angry, you know, you, you come Sure, well, God didn't listen to my prayer, right? Because yeah, I, prayed, I prayed for healing and, I, and they didn't get it. Yeah. And then you say, well, sometimes when you pray, even you don't really know what you're asking. If you pray for healing, and then you have somebody who is very, very, very ill, and then they die, especially in the faith, I mean, this is sort of, I come at this question from the context of the faith. Mm -hmm. So you pray in the faith and for healing, and then your relative dies in the faith, and then you're mad because they didn't get bodily healing. Okay, but the Lord always gives you what you ask or something better, and it's not always about you either. I know you wanted your relative to stay, but what you really asked for was healing for the relative. And what greater healing is there than for the Lord to take away every disease and ailment. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. The, the Lord has actually answered your prayer in the best way possible. The Lord has not taken away only that illness, but has taken away every illness. And while it's sad not to be around that person, because you'll always mourn, you can never say that the Lord didn't hear and certainly that the Lord didn't answer. Mm -hmm. um, so prayer isn't about, I want. It isn't about, gimme. It isn't about, uh, I'll believe in you if. It's about the name, the promises. So this is what I'm going to hand out. And we're not going to go through this. This is just a handy reference for you. Um, this is 101 biblical names and titles of Jesus. And I'm going to let you in on a little inside baseball. This is not comprehensive. It's only 101. And the reason that I'm handing this out to you is that because when Jesus says, ask anything of my Father in my name, and, and, I, and you will receive it, that is not saying, close your prayer with the name, in the name of Jesus, amen, and then you'll get it. Pray for your pony or your mansion and then say, in the name of Jesus, and that'll, you know, that's the end. Daddy will get it for you. Okay. 
It's about the promises that are inherent in the names of Jesus because the names of Jesus point to the identity of Jesus, who he is and what he has come to do. So a really good example of that is if, Aubrey, we're praying for your friend's sick relative, how do you think the pastor would begin the prayer? If we're thinking about names. Dear Lord. Okay, you could say, Dear Lord. Now, there's, I want you to start thinking about these because Lord is an important name. Why do you call somebody Lord? Why do the beggars on the side of the road call Jesus Lord? Because Lord is like a word that means the master. Sure, yeah, it's like a master. So think about it like in medieval times. Who lives in the castle? Well, in the Lord. The Lord lives in the castle. And who takes care of you? Who feeds the people? Servants. The, well, the Lord. Yeah, the servants of the Lord. But it's the Lord that takes care. Who's the one that makes sure that the land is safe? The Lord is the one. So when you talk about the title Lord that is given to Jesus and saying that he is Lord of Lords, it means that you are coming to him as somebody who needs his aid. A suppliant. Hey, help me, please. Lord. So that's one way to say it. What's another way to pray, to begin a prayer to your sick, or of your, a prayer for your sick friend or relative? Thinking about the names. How about... Almighty. Okay, Almighty. Now there's, it's not on here where I think it should be. Yeah, see, I can already tell you that this is not comprehensive because there's a name that I use often in our prayers that isn't on here. And that is uh, Great Physician. I didn't see it at least. The Great Physician of Body and Soul. So why would you pray using the name Great Physician? Well, one, Jesus is called the Great Physician. He calls himself the Great Physician. Because you're asking for a certain... Yes, so you're calling upon the Lord using one of the names, one of the many names that He has given you of Himself, and that name has an inherent promise attached to it. So you have guidelines in how to pray, because He says, ask in my name, and you'll get what you ask for. And then you say, but what is your name? And He says, well, here's 101 of them. Look at these. They, all of these things apply to specific promises of God, because they are inherent to His nature. The Lord is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Lord, forgive me my sins in your mercy because you are the Lamb of God. You see that? So you call upon him according to the promises that he has already made. That is what prayer is. It is the work of faith that heeds the promise. Well, because faith believes the promises, prayer is then this communication where you bend the ear of God and call upon God according to promise. So it's like this. Uh, you go out with your father to buy tools and lumber and hardware because he needs your help. And he says, if you come with me, I'll buy you an ice cream cone on the way home. And you say, well, twist my arm a little bit more, why don't you? So you hop in the truck and you go with him and you get all the things and you get into the truck to go home and he says, all right, time to go home. And then what do you say? But dad! You said we were going to get ice cream. And then what does your dad say? 
Does he? Psych. Yeah, psych. <laughs> I, I just got you in the car, didn't I? Um, no, your, does your dad get mad at you because you said, hey, but you said? No, because you did say. You said, I'll, I'll get ice cream for you. Your son is calling upon you according to the promise that you have already made because they believed that when you made the promise that you would follow through. That's what prayer is. I mean, the father who has his son say, but you said we were going to get ice cream. Say, oh, yes, that's right. And then you happily go and you get that ice cream cone and you're glad that your son listens to you and remembers you and loves you enough to call, call upon you according to what you've said you would give. You see, that's how prayer works. The Lord says, these are the things I'm going to give you. You can ask God for anything you want, but you have to be prepared that He may say no. You can ask God for anything you want. Um, he's already told you what is good for you to ask. And in every prayer, even when you're, when you're praying for something maybe that isn't the best for you, He will hear, and He will answer, and He will always give you the thing that you ask for, or something better. But you have to remember that very often it is, or something better. And in the moment, it's almost impossible to tell that what you received from your prayer is better than the thing that you thought you wanted. But sometimes prayer can be a weird thing because you say words like pray for healing, but then you don't really understand what you're praying for. But the Spirit, but the spirit intercedes, too, with groanings too deep for words. Like my prayer for patience? Yes, your prayer, your prayer for patience. You pray for patience and the Lord answers your prayer, and that's a good prayer. It is, well, it is a good and a very pious prayer, and the Lord answers it, but the Lord doesn't always answer in the way that you think He's going to, and He will always give you something better. And sometimes the Lord gives, yeah. sometimes the Lord gives you patience by get, putting you into a position that tests your patience yeah. so that your patience gets stronger. See, but, <laughs> but when, you, when you get down on your knees and you say, please give me patience, what in your head you think you're saying is, give me some little magic bolt uh, that infuses me with patience. Oh, let me go to the divine clinic and get my patience booster shot so that I can be less irritable uh, when they call me about the cat being on the roof. <laughs> but, see, but it doesn't, it, it's not like some kind of, Oh, wow, boy, I feel really good now. You yeah, know. that's why I don't pray for it no more. <laughs> well, when I was younger, I prayed for it all the time because mom said you were the most impatient person ever. Well, I mean... Pray it, for it. Pray for it. And... It is a good thing to continue praying for. Oh, okay. <laughs> Patience is a virtue. <laughs> the Lord is never going to hurt you for praying for a virtue. That's a good I, thing. I'm just hey. more careful how I pray for it, I guess. Um, if you never know, if you never know, or, or if you are ever in a position where you don't know how to pray, what should you do? Pray the Our Father. Or yes, you can say Our Father. That's what it's called. <laughs> that's not. That's not a problem at all. It is the Our Father. That's what it's called. Um, you can pray that, and in fact, that's the best prayer that you can possibly pray. Why? Yeah, that's a, because the disciples said, hey, we know we're supposed to pray, but we don't know how to pray. And he said, here, pray this. So if you never know, or if you if you ever in a position where you don't know what to pray for, you can never go wrong by praying the prayer that Jesus gave you and said, hey, pray this prayer. It's good for you. 
So uh, there's this idea that I kind of get frustrated with that only prayers that come from the heart are heard by God. So you can't pray the Lord's Prayer because that's not one from the heart. And like, oh, heaven forbid that I sit down on a Sunday morning and write out prayers that I pray during the liturgy because the Lord's just, you know, all of that work and all of the time it takes to pray that big long prayer and the Lord's just not going to hear it because it's not from the heart because I didn't make it up on the spot. That's not the way that prayer works, especially not with the Lord's Prayer. How is the Lord not going to hear the prayer that he gave to you specifically and said, hey, pray this? That, hey, hey, pray this prayer. And then he sits up in heaven. Can you believe they're actually doing it? Oh, they think I'm listening to that? You know, that's just, just a nightmare of a God if that's the way he works. And it isn't the way he works. So pray the Our Father, pray the Lord's Prayer if you ever um, don't know what to pray. Uh, because it includes everything. Everything you could possibly ask for of your own mind and will. And everything else that the Lord would have you ask. It's all included in the Lord's Prayer. Anything else pales in comparison. And then when you pray, this is dangerous for me because I'm letting out a, a secret of the trade here. You're, I'm opening the curtain for you to see what lies behind. Brian, can you pass the rest of those down for me, please? And um, this is, you don't have to pray like this. This is just my little simple guide for if you, if you think to yourself, I have trouble praying, how should I pray um, if I want to pray for something in particular? People think that prayer is complicated and they think, boy, pastor, I don't know if I could ever pray the way that pastor does. Well, listen, I do it a lot and I went to school and part of my school was practicing praying and getting good at it, especially in front of people. But it doesn't have to be a complicated thing. In fact, it isn't. It's a really simple thing that anyone can do. And I say it's dangerous to let you see behind the curtain here because now after I give you this little formula, every time you listen to a prayer, you're going to realize that I'm just following a little formula. Okay? So there's all these different parts of prayer. And it doesn't, you don't need to know what they're all called and it really doesn't matter. But I want you to see how a prayer is just broken down. So first, you're going to call upon God. Well, what name are we going to use? And that's question number one. What are we praying for? Because that's going to determine uh, what name we use. So for this one, this uh, uh, example here, we're praying for assistance and for divine protection. So we will just say God, which is perfectly fine. Now you could use you could use another name too. Um, you could even just pray, "O Divine Protector." It's a name that He has. You could do things like that. Okay, but O God, and then why are you praying? Okay, what is it that you're looking? For? Why why are you calling upon me? Well, you justify the ungodly, and you desire not the death of a sinner. There's something about God that ties in with His name. Now, what would you like? Graciously assist us by your heavenly aid and evermore shield us with your protection. Sure, why would you like that? That no temptation may separate us from your love. Ah, okay, very good. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay? Look at that. That's, it's so easy. Praying is so easy to do. 
It really is. So just take that. I mean, you, you can look at this, and this is showing you how easy it is to pray. Prayer is such a big, important thing. Uh, being able to call upon God, having the privilege of being able to put your burdens on Him, having Him hear you and answer you and be with you. And uh, here's another thing. Prayer is sort of like a coded radio signal to when you... The devil will use your memories against you, which we talked about before. Memory can be a good thing, but then the devil can also use it as a bad thing, as a weapon against you. But what you bring to the Lord in prayer is something that's kind of coded. The, the devils cannot stand to be around prayer. So where there is prayer, they have to run and flee, and they can't, they can't break into that coded signal when you're praying to the Lord for things. It's, they can't eavesdrop in on that and listen and... Uh, bring bad words into your prayer. So that's another really good thing about prayer, is prayer brings and is protection against all forms of evil. It's really, really great. Okay? So when you pray, then this is the last thing, this is something I want you to do. When you pray, always pray out loud. Never just pray in your head. And that's why I give you this little simple prayer handout, because it's really easy, easy to pray in your head, but then when you're forced to make your mouth actually come up with words and, and uh, sentences, then uh, you get afraid because, it, well, it doesn't sound very good. Well, no one ever said prayer had to be pretty. It doesn't have to be pretty. We make it pretty on a Sunday morning because everything else on Sunday morning is so pretty. But prayer doesn't have to be pretty. Prayer can be as simple as this. Lord, have mercy on me. Amen. That's a prayer! Look at you! It's so easy! Just do it. And do it out loud. Do it out loud for yourself, too. Because when you pray out loud, your ears are hearing the things that you're praying. Do it out loud because it's good practice for being able to pray, coming up with prayers, putting into words the things you want the Lord to hear. All that stuff's really important. So do it all out loud. Okay? And um, prayer has to be disciplined. You have to make it a discipline. It's an important thing, sort of like communication in the household. It, it has to be a discipline. It's really easy not to do it, but nothing works if you're not. So prayer has to be a discipline where you really work at it, and, and you'll always be getting better at it, and you'll never get to a point where you can say, I'm so good at this, I can stop. It has to be constant. And you need to, like, this is why I hit on home devotion so hard. You have to do it. Pray in your house. Pray by yourself. Pray with your kids. Pray with your family. Pray. Uh, but make a discipline out of it. Make, make it be a, a part of your routine, a good habit. Okay? Yes? I was just going to interject that you can pray and ask all you want. That's fine. But people need to remember to pray for thanks once. You know, like, you got to thank them for those times that... Sure. Prayer, prayer isn't just about asking. Yeah. There's all kinds of different... You, you can thank God. Pray, praise. You call upon God in every time of trouble. Pray, praise, and give thanks. Well, all of that is... That's why prayer is more than asking. It is all about um, this communication within the confines of a relationship. Um, sometimes prayer is really just saying... It, it can be something as simple as this. Lord, I know that you said that we would suffer for the sake of your Son. And I know that you said that he has not come to bring peace but a sword. But I am growing weak and tired. I am, I am bothered by what I see. What am I supposed to do about all of this? Amen.
Well, there's a prayer right there. I mean, it's a conversation. And guess what? The Lord's going to answer you. The Lord will answer you. So, um, yeah, pray, pray. This is all, it's all the second commandment, using the name of the Lord. How do you use it? How not to use it? Well, um, don't use it for anything other than what the Lord has given it for. You know, no cursing, lying, swearing, satanic arts. Don't, like the one I use in Bible class, don't try to get a woman to fall in love with you by uh, catching a frog at midnight and then a month later killing it and burying it at the full moon and then drawing a pentagram around it and then summoning a demon with magic words and then saying to the demon, uh, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, I bind you, now make the woman fall in love with me. Which is real. That's real. There are, there are magic books from the Middle Ages. I have a top shelf in my library that is on the, it's a top shelf for a reason because it's full of stuff like that that no one really ever should read. And so it's hard to get to and that's why it's hard to get to. Um, but that's real. So the call upon demons because demons have power to do things and then how do you make the demons do what you want? Oh, well, just you just make them do it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, no. That's not why the Lord has given you His name. Okay, so don't, do it. don't use the name of the Lord to call down wrath. That's what it is to say, God damn you to somebody or in traffic. Oh, damn you for not letting me merge. Okay? That's, actually, that's actually really bad. It's really bad. Because that is, in the catechism language, that is using the name of the Lord to curse. Curse is to call upon the name of the Lord to bring down wrath or harm or judgment on another person. Um, so calling down the judgment of heaven. Think about that next time you, you consider using the word damn. Because even if you don't say, Oh Lord, Heavenly Father, you are the righteous judge of the world. Please bring condemnation upon the driver who just cut me off in Kansas City. Even if you don't say that and all you say is, Damn you. That's still a prayer. And it's still a call for damnation. That's what the word is. For damnation of heaven upon the person. See, this is one of those eye-opening moments. Like when you're a kid and your mother tells you that when you say the word hate, when you say the word hate, it means that you want somebody's child born dead. So you, know, you, say, you never say that you hate somebody because the full force of what it means to hate somebody is wishing that every child that they would bear would be born dead. And then you think, oh my goodness, I could never say that word again. And then your parents say, well, good. That's <laughs> probably good that you never say the word hate. Okay? But anyway, this is all to say, you don't use the Lord's name for any of these other things. In, and this is specifically you know, about prayer. How do you pray? What's prayer about? How do you use the name? Oh, well, use it this way. Um, call upon it in every time of trouble. Hey, you in trouble? What's going on? Let me know about it. I'll help you. What do you need? What does someone else need? Because it's not just for you. It's for other people too. Um, just like Abraham, you can intercede and Christ intercedes. Okay? So, you uh, call upon him in every time of trouble. You pray. Hey, ha let's have a conversation. You praise. Oh my word, the Lord has done such a great thing. I'm so thankful for all the good things. And then, Give thanks. Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayers. Thank you, Lord, for granting me a child. Thank you, Lord, for all your wondrous deeds. Okay? All of that, all of that is prayer. Questions about any of this? Okay. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Give us all the